Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 290 of Linux in the Hampshire. This is Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. I'm Bill, NE4RD. Why is that funny? <laughs> it, just, it sounded funny on my end. <laughs> no, it sounded funny to me, too. I was just like, is he going to say something else? <laughs> no, I thought we were trying to make this go quicker. Not, oh, I got enough battery life. I'm pretty good there. I just, okay. uh, you know, just want to dawdle all night, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no, that's good. I mean, uh, we should probably just, like, kind of get down to business, I guess. Um, but I will say you have tuned into the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet, scientifically proven to be the most terrific Who or is a scientist me. Oh, I, guess. I think, gotcha. I think it's in the Mueller report too. So yeah. oh, that's true. Well, I think our part was redacted though. <laughs> it might've been. Yes, yeah. I think been. it might've been highly sensitive material there. <laughs> it is. Yes, definitely. All right. So Bill is reporting from the wilds of Montana right now. It, I'm surprised we can't hear like, birds and badgers and things but well, just waiting for the bear to or the uh you know mountain lion to sneak up behind me and attack me here but uh <laughs> fortunately there's enough uh you know uh, uh party goers and campers and stuff like that in the area i should be safe for the uh for the duration oh that's good well if you do get mauled on air we'll definitely make sure we uh highlight it yeah well, at least you can finish up right you know? right <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. So we should probably go ahead and get started with our short topic episode that we do every couple of weeks. And this time around, our lead topic is this thing that happened over last weekend that happens the fourth full weekend of every June, and that's the ARRL's Field Day. So I don't know how much we want to say about Field Day. I mean, the, the bands were definitely full of people doing Field Day things. I actually <laughs> did Field Day things. I operated for a couple of hours on Saturday uh, using YFK test as my logger of choice. Um, I think I logged about 30 contacts, I think 29, which wasn't bad, I guess, for me, just kind of, you know, putzing around on a Saturday. So, what bands did you work? Uh, pretty much just 40 meters. Oh, okay. I, I made one contact on 20, and all the rest were on 40. So. I heard uh, some mixed opinions on how the bands were, especially on 40 and 15, but hopefully uh, CW and uh, digital saved the day. Well, I'm sure it did for some people. I was operating entirely SSB, and when I went up to 10 and 15 meters, they were completely dead. I did I did hear one <laughs> CQ on 15 uh, that I was not able to contact, and then I just spent the rest of my time on 40. So did you up, do anything? I know I brought everything except for my cables to power the rig. So <laughs> I was almost prepared, but not quite. I was 
is uh, starting to pull out, and I'm like, where did those cables go? <laughs> <laughs> and I really didn't feel like splicing off my Anderson power poles and stuff like that to uh, to make it work, and I didn't have any banana clip things, so I was like, well, I think I'll just call it good, and that uh, I know what I need to bring next time. All right. Well, next year, you know exactly what you do when you're back up there at uh, Flathead Lake. So Yes. All right. Very good. So, obviously, since you didn't operate... You don't have anything to report. I don't really have anything to report either. I didn't uh, come across any like super interesting stations or anything like that. My propagation was primarily Texas, Oregon, Iowa, and I think I had like a Delaware and a couple of little oddballs. But oh, in California, quite a bit in California. But yeah, so nothing super interesting. But you know, a few contacts made for field day, and I'm sure it was a huge success, like it always is, or they'll call it one, whether it was or not. But anyway. So field day 2019 is over and done, and then I guess there'll be the winter one come around in a few months, and we'll talk about that some more later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. But in the meantime, we should move on to some of our short topics, and we usually lead off with amateur radio, and today is no different, so we'll talk about some amateur radio topics. So can you actually like read like from the Etherpad where you are? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, wow. I'm like high tech here. I do have like the sun in my eye because it's setting and it's reflecting off the lake, but uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll power through it, guys. I'll power through it. I'm pretty sure you so, could yeah. like turn in a different direction and that wouldn't be a problem. Well, then I wouldn't be able to see the screen because then too much sun would hit the screen. <laughs> maybe maybe like a 90 degree to both. Uh, uh, yeah, first world problem. I know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah, I ran across this on the ARRL site. This is an IT engineer position available. Seemed pretty, you know, pretty normal. Responsibility for the day-to-day operation of the organization's information infrastructure, including desktop client server systems, LAN, WAN, email, network storage, and printing. This infrastructure supports both local and remote users. And get this, the salary range, which I think is a typo, is $55,300 to $73,700 per hour. (laughs) Can I sign up for that job? I know. Yeah, I'm like, man, I could just work a couple hours and be good. I'm betting they're going to have a few takers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready. I was like, shoot, I'll quit my job for that. That's some good vittles there. <laughs> I think I think next they're going to be hiring a new recruiting person that will manage all this stuff because uh, <laughs> I'm pretty certain that there's something fishy with this app. <laughs> so way to go. And you can find that on the uh, ARRL website. Yeah, well, obviously we know what they really mean. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So otherwise, it's a really crappy job. <laughs> but the per hour makes it interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's wrong. <laughs> Maybe they need to drop a zero off of each one of those, or well, turns yeah. out no, they, they'd have year. to drop quite a few zeros actually to make that <laughs> reasonable. Yeah, it's just an IT person. You know? <laughs> I'm giving they them the benefit of a much. doubt. Yeah. Right. Uh, jumping back to the the lead topic just for a second in the chat room we have uh the dons <laughs> uh, uh kc9zmy said he actually worked ft8 on 15 meters so that's cool yeah i figured the cw and the the digital modes would probably be a little bit more survivable there yeah absolutely he said it was operating on only 10 watts too so pretty qrp nice right? and don made a satellite contact for field day so that's pretty cool the, the yeah, other bonus don't. points yeah Boner points. 
All right. All right, come on. We're professionals, people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh It just keeps going. Right. (laughs) All right, so moving on, we have the FCC taking action. The Enforcement Bureau of the Federal Communications Commission has entered into a consent decree to resolve its investigation into whether David Larson Sr., otherwise known as Mr. Larson, (laughs) violated Section 301 of the Communications Act of 1934 as amended. And sections 90.20, 90.403, 90.405, 90.425 of the commission's rules by operating on spectrum that the commission has licensed to the bur- the, bur- the bureau, the borough of Highland Park <laughs> for public safety communications. These sections of the act and the communications rules ensure that spectrum remains available for exclusive use by public safety entities by prohibiting unauthorized operations establishing eligibility requirements to obtain a license for spectrum reserve for public safety uses, delineating the scope of permitted communications and requiring authorized stations periodically to transmit call signs or similar station identification when using a public safety network. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) An authorized transmission on public safety radio networks, such as the one operated by the borough of Highland Park poses a unique threat to public safety because it can quote, create a scenario in which a dispatcher might not be able to hear and respond to an emergency transmission, unquote, from authorized users, thereby endangering the safety of first responders and the public they are called to protect. So there you go. Wow, that was, was that all one sentence? That was very exciting. Yeah. yeah that was very exciting. <laughs> That's right off the uh, the PDF from the, <laughs> from the FCC. Basically, a lid got punished for... Uh, Hopping on public service <laughs> radio frequencies like a douchebag. A, pub, uh, a and, lid got punished for being a lid. Hey, yeah. how about that? How often does that more happen? Of that. Yeah. More of yes, that. More of that. Right. Yes. More of that and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I was just watching this guy like go uh, uh, kayaking by with his dog on the kayak. It looks really cool. <laughs> I'd say get a picture of it, but then you'll probably lose your connection. <laughs> no, I got a different phone here. Let's see if I get this here. Uh, uh, it'll take a second to transmit it, obviously. Yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. There it is. All right, so, Cheryl, uh, can you read a story? I don't know. Can I read? Will you read a story? I, yeah, maybe I could read a story. All right, go ahead and read a story. So our next uh, amateur <laughs> radio topic is this one. Oregon Emergency Communications Tower was destroyed. So the emergency communication tower necessary for loggers, fire personnel, and ham radio operators was cut down over the weekend of June 15th or 16th, causing more than $60,000 in damage. The damage was discovered on Monday, June 17th, and it was determined that over the weekend, unknown subjects caught the, excuse me, cut the guy wires holding up the Coos Mountain repeater site. The 150-foot tower is an integral piece of infrastructure in the woods in this particular region especially with the onset of fire season. When the tower fell, it was completely destroyed, and most of the repeaters on the tower were destroyed as well. The Coos County Sheriff's Office is offering a reward for the identification and conviction of the parties responsible, according to a press release from their department. And this information came from the World Link. Yep, the World Link. And that last story, by the way, came from the FCC. So I just, I saw this one was kind of interesting because apparently this is out in the middle on top of a mountain in the woods in the Oregon. Boonies, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the boonies of Oregon. And 
apparently somebody just wandered out there and cut the guy wires and this 150 foot tower fell over and destroyed itself on the way down so so did it did it make any noise um i i, I have an answer to that question but i won't i don't want to start the holy war right now so. <laughs> Is, is, is this the same thing where we ask if a bear, you know, craps in the woods type thing? Yeah. Kind of like if a tree falls in the woods, does it? Right, it's not, yeah. it's not quite the same existential dilemma, but, you know, there we go. <laughs> uh, very similar. Yeah, very similar. So anyway, if you're near Coos County in Oregon and you have any information about this, I'm sure the department out there would love to hear from you. So, and hopefully they get that piece of public service equipment back up really quickly so how much you want to bet since we had re- recently here in missouri we had a group of teenagers destroy a whole bunch of headstones in a cemetery and destroy a city pool how much you want to bet it was a group of teenagers or drunk people out for a joy type thing? i don't know i kind of gather from what i saw of this where this is this is not easy terrain and drunk hikers well possibly i guess Cut a guy wire? I'm assuming they're pretty big I guy assume, wires. I mean, 100 feet Yeah, I'm assuming tower. they're pretty big, too. And also, cutting guy wires on a tower, other than, like, being a stupid prank, is really dangerous because they're under tension. And, right. you yeah. know, they could kill you. Right. <laughs> so, or the tower falling on you could kill you. Could kill you, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, something weird is going on here, but <laughs> there it is. All right, so that's the last of our amateur radio topics for the evening. We're going to move on to open source, and we'll let Bill handle this first one. Yeah, because it's going to get debunked pretty well, soon. Well, it's, uh, it's so, going to be like, debunked uh, by the second story. <laughs> so you read the first one, and I'll follow up. <laughs> yeah, so I found this, and then uh, I found the other one, but here we go. Steam, <clears throat> this is not necessarily open source, but Steam won't support ubuntu 19.10 and future releases while not necessarily an open source topic this is an interesting to the impact of, to usability for a lot of users using linux as a gaming desktop because you know it's always the year of the linux desktop uh canical announced plans that to drop 32-bit packages and libraries from 19.10 these packages enables 32-bit software to run on 64-bit versions of ubuntu while most linux applications will get along just fine this is a huge blow to valve steam <clears throat> many linux games are on steam are only available in 32-bit form and they will work form they work on t- <laughs> okay <laughs> they work on 64-bit uh, linux distributions but only with the 32-bit libraries and i believe we're all pretty well aware of this as Veronics recently pointed out this also affects the wine compatibility layer uh, that allows running windows software on linux wine uh, won't be able to run 32-bit programs anymore as well so Steam's compatibility layer for running Windows games on Linux would also not work for 32-bit games. Wow, that seemed quite redundant. <laughs> yeah, sort of. And that was copy and pasted. <laughs> so y'all need to get some new writers there. <laughs> well, it's funny. That one, that story came from HowToGeek, and it's funny how yes. when companies like Canonical say they're going to do things that directly affect users, that right afterwards things like this story from Engadget happened. Uh, yes. canonical ahead. backtracks on pulling 32-bit support oh what do you know about that last week ubuntu announced it would end support for 32-bit applications starting with its next release but this decision was not well received <laughs> especially by the gaming community and valve announced plans to drop support for ubuntu and steam in response canonical which produces ubuntu as we all know has decided to 
Huh. Support selected 32-bit i3 6 packages for Ubuntu versions 19.10 and 20.04 LTS. Rather than pull support altogether, Canonical will enable support for the applications where there's a specific need, i.e. Steam. It will work with Wine, Ubuntu Studio, and gaming communities to address the ultimate end of life for 32-bit libraries, but gamers should still be able to run old applications on newer versions of Ubuntu. Canonical does warn that running software that gets little testing is inherently risky, and since there are fewer eyes on 32-bit x86 packages, there's an increased chance that they'll develop bugs. While it's a bit of a play-at-your-own-risk scenario, at least Linux users with extensive Ubuntu collections won't lose their Steam game libraries. So, there you go. Well, I think there's a couple of uh, Swiss cheese holes in this story here. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's like everybody who's running Ubuntu has freaking Steam installed. So, testing... Are you kidding me? Every install has a testable user. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe I read another article. It wasn't from Engadget, but uh, directly off of the D- Discourse mailing list where they said they were freezing the 32-bit packages, not necessarily continuing them, but they were actually freezing them in the repo, which means they will not receive updates. So at least there's one more version of what actually might happen. But I would expect most of this to just kind of backtrack completely. And uh, either that or somebody's going to probably maintain the 32-bit as an add-on or a PPA to add to uh, your Ubuntu install. And there goes a boat. How about that? <laughs> Life on the lake. Yep. I should be out in the boat recording. There you go. You could be maritime be. mobile while you're recording. Breaker, breaker. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> all right, well, we'll see what comes of this. I'm sure there will be much discussion between Ubuntu and Valve and all the other folks that have uh, 32-bit-based libraries for various things. And uh, at some point, you know, it really would behoove Steam to actually bring their games. And, well, I mean, it's not all Steam. Steam's sort of like, well, yeah, they're the aggregator. But it, it would behoove the, the developers to actually move to 64-bit libraries. I think it's time. <laughs> Or, or possibly, just, just maybe, like, just build native Linux games and screw this whole compatibility hey, layer. Hey, there's an idea. Yeah, that would be too easy. <laughs> That's the thing. It actually would be. I mean, they're game developers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just make sure, if you're a game user and you're using Steam, I believe the big Steam Play sale is coming up, like, the next week or so. Make sure you flip to Linux, and then you do the little system survey in Linux, and then you buy all your really crappy games for next to nothing on Linux. <laughs> <laughs> so it bumps those Linux numbers up. So there, there you go. go. All right. You heard it here first for a second or I don't know. Who, who knows? Right, you, yeah. you heard it here. All right. So anyway, uh, Cheryl, I think I put this story in here in a way that couldn't be easily read. At least I hope so. So yeah, I'll let you do it. Enough. All right. So our next topic is our next story is how to install Linux on Android without root. Are you looking for a way to install and run Ubuntu 18.04 Linux server on your Android smartphone or tablet without rooting the phone? Then try UserLand. Android being a very popular operating system, users are looking for a way to easily install different Linux distros on it. Hitherto, it was very tedious work to run Linux OS to, yeah, on Android, but not anymore. With the help of UserLand, you can, or we can install Kali, Ubuntu, Arch Linux, Debian-like distros on Android in a minimal form. 
It provides built-in shell and VNC sessions for a graphical experience. User land developed by the team of GNU Root Debian App, which was very popular before as a replacement. Here we will show the way to install and run Ubuntu 18.04 minimal server on Android phone without any kind of reading process. It helps you to learn Linux directly on your phone without voiding the warranty. Uh, the steps are on a website called How to Shout, and they will work for Debian and Kali Linux systems um, available in the user land app. All right, there you go. I didn't read through the article, so I did not <laughs> go any further with this, but I thought it might be an interesting thing if somebody wants to do this. Uh, it does give very detailed step-by-step instructions, including PPAs, apt install commands, et cetera, et cetera, for doing a Kali Linux or an Ubuntu 18.04 on your Android device without root. So if this is something you want to try, go ahead and try it. I don't figure I'll ever do it, but there you go. Somebody might want to. If there are two. Huh? <laughs> I'm just laughing at the use of Oh, hitherto. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say something about that, too. It's like, <laughs> like who the hell wrote this? <laughs> the thing is, it's not written very well, because I was just like, Duh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think if you read this trunk in white, you definitely shouldn't use hitherto in a news story. But <laughs> Yeah, it seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, anyway. anyway. <laughs> we, we do have a flash topic. Okay. Maybe you can install this one on your, you know, Android. Maybe who knows? <laughs> it's, if it's Debian based, possibly. Anyway, this, yeah, it's possible. It's Ubuntu based, actually. So it's a uh, Enso zero point three dot one. Dancing a Daisy is released. Uh, summertime upon us once again, and the team here at Enso are very happy to announce the next minor iteration of our operating system. Here's all you need to know: it's built on the latest LTS release of Ubuntu, that's 18.04, for all you not in the know. And uh, Enso includes all the latest security and system packages from the main Ubuntu Dev branch. So that means they're kind of grabbing the other stuff and making their own pseudo uh, uh, release branch. And these packages will be supported by Ubuntu for the next three years. And, of course, you can find that on uh, the Enso OS's website. And I think this one has been kind of making the rounds because I've seen it mentioned just about everywhere. And I'm just not uh, I'm just not certain we need another uh, uh, boutique version of Ubuntu out there. But uh, it's getting some good reviews. It has uh, uses XFCE. It uses the plank from, uh, from um, elementary OS. So it has a nice little... Uh, no toolbar and stuff like that, or dock, I guess you'd call it. And it runs really fine on uh, some lower end hardware, obviously, because of the XFCE. So uh, go give it a try. I'm not going to do it here camping, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, I would have had an LHS readiness score for you. But I assume since it's sitting on top of Ubuntu LTS, it's probably fine. It'll be definitely a four plus on it. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a try, too. Um, I, I didn't see the story until this afternoon, so I have not gotten a chance to pop up a VM for it and give it an install, but I will do that in the next couple of days, and I'm sure you will as well, and we'll see what we think of it. But I, I agree that since it's based on the Ubuntu LTS, that it probably, unless they just really don't know how to code a, a graphical user environment, that it's probably just fine. So Yeah, it looks pretty, it looks pretty snazzy, but I don't yeah. know. We'll see. We'll probably we'll probably run it for five minutes and then go back to Ubuntu. 
<laughs> or Fedora. Or Fedora, right, right. All right. So moving on to Linux in the Hamshack, we only have one story for tonight because the only thing anyone's talking about lately is field day. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'll read this and then you can follow up, Bill, because I, I think you have more to say about it. But uh, this is about setting up your DV, DBV S2 encoder decoder. Jeez, wow. Uh, for Q0100 or SHAL-2 on Linux. Anton ZR6AIC had an interesting and detailed article on his blog about decoding transmissions from Q0100 using Ubuntu. This includes using LeanSDR, RX underscore SDR, GQRX, and building the tools in Ubuntu that you'll need. As well, hardware hardware information is available. Uh, I won't read the other as, as well, well, right, because that's a little bit redundant, so... <laughs> I was kind of running out of time when I wrote that. So. <laughs> Here, let me fix that. I was okay. like, let me go. Yeah, let me just put that in there. But yeah, he has an interesting blog article. It seems to be a pretty, pretty active, uh, pretty active blogger. So you might even want to look at some of his history on some of the other articles he's written. But this is a very detailed article, including using uh, setting up the hardware and everything else uh, that you need to get uh, to uh, decoding video at the the various signaling rates. Um, that are coming off of that new satellite over there. Of course, it's not terribly revel- uh, relevant. Relevant. I don't know if you want to say that. Uh, relevant to us. I do the same thing on a keyboard, surprisingly. That's just one word I have a problem with. I don't know why. <clears throat> but anyway, um, yeah, so obviously we can't hit the satellite from over here because it's uh, over in the middle of, uh, where did you say it was? Zaire? Con- <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, over in the middle of Africa. Yes, it, yeah, covering the yeah, pretty pretty much all of them over there. We don't we don't get it at all. Um, but uh, I thought it was a real interesting article uh, because of all the all the tooling and everything else. Because we don't really get de- in, into huge amount of depth with uh, the SDR, and this is very specific use SDR, and, uh, and it definitely uses several of the tools that I have not messed around with yet. So I'm going to probably spend some time when I get back looking into this and and checking it out in further detail. But uh, if you find anything useful in here, you know, please give us some feedback and uh, and uh, tell us what uh, what more you'd like to see in content related to this because this is a pretty uh, pretty detailed and pretty interesting stuff. All right, very good. And yes, Zaire, <laughs> which, which, as you pointed out, is now known as the DRC. Um, yes. <laughs> so. Oh, and if anybody doesn't know what DRC means after listening to this program, I don't know where you've been, but it's the Democratic <laughs> Republic of the Congo. So <laughs> it's one of those places in Africa. They change their names about every six months. So, yeah, there is that. All right. Well, that was the only story we had in our Linux and the Hamshack segment. So let's uh, run over to the chat room real quick and see if there's anything going on there. I see a lot of talk about Chirp. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Talking about programming rigs and Chirp. How to program my HTX202. Wow, I had one of those. I wonder if I wonder if every ham who was alive when the HTX202 was a thing actually owned one. I I would suspect it's a high percentage. Did did you own an (laughs) HTX202, Bill? I did not. I actually, uh, what did I have? I had a Kenwood. I had that old trusty 79TH or something like that, whatever that <clears throat> monstrosity was with the dotted dot matrix screen that uh, you'd always lose a line in. It still works to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Minus one line of a pixel display. So, 
Minus one line of pixel display. It actually still works fine. I, I, I looked at it the other day. I was plugging some power into it, and I was like, man, I can't believe this thing still works. Uh, yeah, I really want I should get that back on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Be a good little packet radio or something like that. Well, you know? that's, yeah, uh, that's what I, I use my HTX202 for, was uh, FM packets, or two-meter packet. Yeah, I helped uh, several friends with those, getting those set up. I mean, those were pretty prolific when Radio Shack was uh, giving them out shortly thereafter when you could find them anywhere. It had a fast enough transmit you know, relay in it that you could run it in packet and wouldn't fall over on its face too bad. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know the 404 was the 70-centimeter version, and I knew no one who had one of those. <laughs> nah, yeah, 440 repeaters weren't very common when those were out, at least not in the smaller markets. Right. I think in like, you know, the bigger markets in California and, and New York and stuff like that, where you had like heavy penetration of two meter, you know, repeaters that there was a lot of 70 centimeter stuff out there. I don't remember having, well, there's like one, I think there was one 70 centimeter repeater back in 96 Naples that I can remember. Yeah. Oh, well, those are, it's like anything. Those are probably going for some huge premium on eBay or something. <laughs> They're probably like $500, $500 or something if you want to buy one on eBay. Cheryl can like run over to eBay real quick and see how much an HTX 202 is. All right. Uh, you could just use a Bayfang for most no, of the No, I know, now. but it's the nostalgia thing. You know how it is. It's like <laughs> the people who want their, their Collins rigs and stuff like that. There you go. N2NRV has a 404, but the battery won't charge. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 202s are, and 404s are dirt cheap? Really? 15 bucks. Yeah. 15 bucks for there a working 202, huh? Yeah, well, here's one for Almost 60. Almost as expensive as a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right here's a uh, here's one for 60 with a brand new internal battery. Internal battery. They don't have internal batteries. That's what it says. <laughs> uh, maybe they replaced the battery in the show. Yeah, maybe so. It's internal it, to, internal the to the case so. that slides onto the bottom. Snaps yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, here. Brilliant. You can get a new battery for twenty seven fifty. Yeah, I would say we can just get the simple little their lithium poly or probably NICAD cells Let's or something. Well, I'm sure as long as they produce like seven and a half to, to fifteen volts, it doesn't really matter. Those things were pretty much indestructible. So it's like if you, you could feed it like I think the spec said like voltage. You just feed it something, it will take it. <laughs> yeah. Seven to a thousand volts, it's fine. One or the other. It's Pretty intolerant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's one for five dollars. It says not working, but see details. What if you can buy them working for fifteen bucks? Why would you buy thirty-five dollars for parts only? Yeah, for five bucks, they'll smash it down with a hammer before he mails it. So save you the shipping on it. <laughs> I pay you like twelve dollars to set fire to it and send me a video. <laughs> yeah, send me the ashes. <laughs> Could you send me the ashes of a 202? That'd be great. Yeah, you can get 11 batteries for 100 bucks. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff here for it. So, All right. Anyway, enough talk about the ancient Radio Shack radios. Um, we're down now to the social media roundup, so we'll go send it over to Cheryl, and we'll let her have at it. All righty, then. So th- for this time, our Patreons are Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Rudder, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Saner, and William Heckelman. 
for subscriptions. We have Michael Burdak, Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ikey, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, Jeremy Hall. On Facebook, we have David Gwynn, Brahim Salem, Ron Griffith, uh, Gerald McMines or McMains, Keith Elliott, Dave Cook, Keith Farmer, and Terry Partagianoni. I'm probably butchered that horribly. Uh, for Twitter, we have at Barton DVM, at Gregory Foot with an E, at K777P, at MacN01, at DevJourneyFM, at MONVQ. Zero. Oh, sorry. So zero. I can't. My, That's fine. My text is weird. Um, at Marslow AMG or AM67, uh, at Robert Bond, at Matala Huva, at Linux Nation, and at Michael P. Nash on YouTube. YouTube, excuse me. We have Galen Thurber, Ethan Buss, Jibber14, Coach Sals, Jeremy Smith, Keith Head. Mailing list is Michael K4MJD, and there were no merchandise sales. All right, that's it. We've come down to the end of episode number 290. We do want to thank everyone who showed up and had a, had and continues to have a lively conversation in the chat room about ancient Radio Shack radios. Um, we had Don KB2YSI, other Don KC9ZMY, Ted WA0EIR, Jim VE5EV, and Fred N2NRV who uh, showed up and hopefully will uh maybe be around for the next episode who knows we'll see but with that i think we have come down to the end of it oh i almost forgot jonas jonas is in there he's even in the the, the uh, mumble oh he's in the mumble <laughs> sorry jonas <laughs> can't slip anything by him <laughs> All right. So very good. Thanks everybody for tuning into this episode. Uh, we're going to wrap this one up and head on out to the next one, which is going to be our weekender edition. So definitely check that out when it comes out in a few days. And, uh, we hope you stick around for that. And then we'll have a deep dive after that on the following Monday. I don't believe we've assigned a topic to the next deep dive, but it will be interesting no matter what it is. So with that, we're going to wrap up episode number 290 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info 
you can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or handfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.